Hey everyone, this is Aspet Bedrosian. And this is Hovik Manucharyan. And we're talking with Gevis Kajian on the latest conditions and events during the Artsakh blockade. Gev is with the ANC in Artsakh, nagorno karabakh He lives in Stepanagerd. Today is April 12th, 2023. This is the 122nd day of the Artsakh blockade. Hey Gev, how are you doing on this four-month anniversary of the blockade from December 12th to April 12th? All things considered, uh, thank God we're doing okay. Good to be on with you guys. Hey Gev, I can't believe it's been four months now and there is no shortage of important news to cover. Let's begin with what has been going on in Armenia over the past few weeks, uh, which is related to what's going on in Artsakh. Around the last few days of March, the story begins then, there were reports that Azerbaijani forces uh, moved, according to Armenian government sources, preemptively moved to take positions near the village of Teh. And in some cases, the Armenian National Security Service claims that they moved uh, several hundred meters inside uh, the borders of Armenia. What's interesting about that is that uh, yesterday there was a serious fighting which resulted in the loss of four Armenian soldiers, six wounded. And the videos released showed that the Armenian forces were about 150 meters or 200 meters away from the Azerbaijani forces who had been basically building communications and establishing themselves in their newfound positions uh, very quickly around the day. And it appears that Armenian forces decided just yesterday to start making their own fortifications. And this resulted in a battle uh, that unfortunately led to loss of life. This is basically around their village. For those who are interested, you can listen to my interview with Naira Melikian, uh, mother of fallen uh, soldier, Haik Melikian, about this issue. And she was actually earlier last week, and she had a confrontation with the Armenian border guards. So what I wanted to ask you is, what is the feeling in Artsakh? How are people perceiving this, you know, yet another violent act by uh, Azerbaijan what are the goals and how are the people receiving this news in Artsakh? Yeah, I think, you know, there's two sides to this. One is the natural, like, connection that people make anytime there's Azerbaijani escalation, especially in places like Sunik or especially, you know, now uh, this close to Artsakh. That always comes hand in hand. The, if there's a threat in Armenia, the, you know, preparedness or the alert level here has to and does go up. The, the secondary issue to this is currently the Azeris are blocking the border through Berzo right now, through that corridor. Uh, now we're running chance as they, you know, get closer to areas like Kapban, get closer to areas like Terfyug, that even if that road was open, they would be able to cut Artsakh off from inside Armenia too. So these are all pressing concerns. Yeah, the new positions that Azerbaijan's have established are hundreds of meters away from the new road that is supposed to yes. link Armenia to Artsakh. So they are within fire control. And Naira Melikian, uh, of course, this is disputed, but Naira Melikian says that Azerbaijanis have some kind of a post already on that section of the road or are essentially vying to establish a post there. So the situation looks very precarious. I know that the Berzor corridor is now almost not being utilized and only for emergency purposes since Azerbaijan on March 25 moved in uh, and took more strategic heights to sort of close off the alternative route. But there were claims that Armenians were using. So authorities in Artsakh basically established more strict rules about who yeah. can come to Armenia. What is the situation 
right now in terms of communication, road communication with yeah. Armenia? Who can go, who can't, and so forth? So I think there's two things. One is the closing of that road that you mentioned in late March, that the Azeris have, uh, again, you know, deployed a certain amount of troops there. That has been hindrance. On top of that, you also have the second incident where a Russian convoy full of residents of Artsakh coming back into Armenia. They were denied entry. And searched. And searched through the Berzor corridors. So since then, you know, not only has it naturally been more difficult to get people in and out, but because of the precautions that even Artsakh is taking, the government here is taking, there's much more limited access for people. And unfortunately, that includes people that need to get reunited with their families, people that need to go to uh, Armenia, mostly for medical reasons. Um, all of that has come to a very grinding, slow, slow pace. Gev, outside of working through the Russian peacekeepers, does the Artsakh government have any means of mitigating these closures or ensuring that these vital lines remain somehow accessible? Uh, it, it's vast majority is coordinated with the peacekeeping contingency that's here. They have access in terms of, let's say, how many people or how often uh, they need to try and get people across the border for emergency-like uses. And it's a matter of amount, but in terms of scale and like how much, how freely they can move, I, I, to be honest, I don't think that's under their control. That's under the preview of the Russians. Hey, Hovik, as an aside, I wonder if you scanned the news today on these Azeri aggressions of yesterday. The news was full of both-sidedism from all parties. Here we have Azeri forces who have invaded Armenian territory, fortifying their positions near Armenian villages, on Armenian farmer fields, in fact. And then they call actions by Armenian border troops for setting up their own posts provocative, and they start killing Armenians. And what do we get from the EU and the Russians? They're calling on all sides to refrain from escalation, strictly respect the 2020 trilateral agreement, blah, blah, woof, woof. To add insult to injury, the EU mission apparently didn't have observers and what has been the hottest flashpoint of the border in the last three weeks. Yeah, um, definitely. I mean, we, we knew this uh, from the get-go that just because the EU monitors are physically in Armenia does not mean that EU both sidedism is going to get any sort of better or any, any more mild. Yesterday just proved that, in my opinion, it proved that EU's policy doesn't change and it's not going to try to cause problems with Azerbaijan for whatever reason, whether it's geopolitical to cause more pressure against Russia or whether it really needs those 2 billion barrels of gas, which is like 1 or 2% of what it's using or like small percentage of what it's using or what it needs. You know, I'm going to take the liberty here being, being the founder of this podcast and just say, you know, the biggest blame for this Obviously, I mean, we, we keep mentioning we want to sort of, you know, we're Armenian, we want to protect Armenia. But who allowed the Azerbaijanis to come and establish checkpoints in Armenia unchallenged? Absolutely. That is the core sin. That is the original sin. And some would say, you know, I, I don't want to go into whether it's deliberate or not, but you allowed Azerbaijani forces to establish their positions in Armenia up to 500 even meters inside Armenia. Then you allowed them to fortify and build entrenchments for 12 days. And then just only on the 12th day, you try to send forces and try to, uh, okay, well now 150 meters away from their positions, we're gonna build our own trenches. 
anyone with common sense would say that the Azerbaijanis are going to fire on you and they're not going to let you build trenches. Regardless of, you know, the current status quo is Azerbaijanis are in Armenia. They're not going to allow Armenians to do that, to challenge them. And in fact, uh, there are reports that uh, they're forcing uh, Armenians to be five kilometers away from them. So that means that, you know, if, if that's true, then that would mean the Armenian positions would run through the middle of their village. Unfortunately, like most of the analysis I'm seeing so far is that we cannot, you know, unless it's by force, we cannot push the Azeris back. And we've seen time and time again, we've seen it through the 44-day war that Europeans Northern Russians are not going to fight for one hill uh, or one, like, you know, a few kilometers here and there. And there. So the responsibility for not allowing this to happen was fully on the Armenian side. And right now we're just crying over sour grapes because we allowed it to happen. And in fact, I would say whoever put, whoever decided to build those trenches 150 meters away from the Turks, uh, is responsible for the death of those four soldiers. Yeah, it's just uh, you know, I mean, it's common sense. Yeah, it's very sad that all, all I've seen from the Armenian side is just basically uh, statements of the obvious by people like Edmond Marukian, the foreign yeah. minister, Pashinyan, etc. So, but there's not a single ounce of effort to actually push back about this. And Edmond Marukian, unfortunately, you know, we've had him several times on our show. But he's crying. He's still crying on Twitter about Armenia being a democratic country and being go to Nikol, go to your leader, Nikol, and ask him why he allowed this to happen, because someone allowed the Azeris to come forward. That doesn't doesn't happen automatically. And now the Azeris have a very good chance of actually blocking the Lachin corridor, the the Berzor corridor, even before the corridor starts. And then a a big legal question happens as to whether can the Russians even intervene here? Do the Russian peacekeepers have jurisdiction in this area? Because technically this is the Armenian border, which the Azeris claim is theirs, but it's, you know, based on the original definition of the uh, Berzor or Lachin corridor in the November 910 document. I mean, it's a big mess. I don't even know. I'm not a legal uh, analyst, but it doesn't take a genius to guess that this is now a huge mess. And the Armenian authorities, no matter what, the Armenian authorities allow this to happen in the first place. I'm sorry. Look, I'll just chime in quickly here and uh, let you guys go on with it. I think it, it's a really telling of the fact that and there's some connection to Artsakh. When you hear people say, look, we need to expand the peacekeeping presence. We need EU peacekeepers. We need, we need U.S. peacekeepers. Maybe, sure, you know, that's an idea. But we've seen it play out, right? Uh, we're seeing it play out in Sunik. We're seeing it play out in Dech. I'm not even saying have these, you know, observe, the EU observers that are currently there. Their job isn't to intervene. But at the very least, when you're, you know, talking about these statements coming out about both sides of them, I thought that the purpose was to see who's violating the ceasefire. Absolutely. Who is and- doing all these things. So is that rendered useless or are they, you know? The EU mission claimed that they didn't have people at that spot. Um, so yeah. I don't know where they are. Well, yeah, part of it is they also inform Azerbaijan where they're going to be. And that's a statement they've made on their behalf, too. Yeah. Uh, the EU observers let them know beforehand. So, yeah. Okay. Gave a couple of days ago, Arai Karutunian extended an invite to the Azeri government for talks in Stepanagerd. Mm. Do you have you heard about this? Do you know more about this? Yeah. This has a you know couple factors to it. One, this is an obvious response to Azerbaijan asking the Kharabakh authorities, Artsakh authorities, to go to a meeting in Baku. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think this is partly a counter to that. 
Second, I think that on the government's behalf, I think what they're thinking is that this helps further legitimize the idea that uh, Artsakh is a self-represented government, that they have their own elected officials and they have the capacity to speak for themselves. Now, I don't know if we're going to play this out. Do the Azeris accept what happens after that? But, you know, as of this point, I think those are the two main targets as a response to the initial invitation and two for uh, Artsakh to be at that table where these discussions are happening. Okay. Yesterday, we also read that Artsakh farmers have been urged to work under Russian observation or presence in their fields because there have been a lot of Azeri shootings at farmers. Can you talk a little bit about this? Yeah, uh, I think we've seen, uh, you know, rampant escalation in terms of those types of common shootings where Azeri troops will target agricultural areas, people that tend to be closer to the borderlines, people that are in terms of their trade and stuff, dealing with agriculture, dealing with farming. So in the last, I would say, two months, we've seen a drastic escalation. Almost, if you guys pay attention, like every two, three days, there'll be a report coming out. Ask on shooting, Marduni shooting, Mardaget shooting, and this is a pattern. So the farmers working under Russian peacekeepers' presence isn't something that's completely a novel thing. It's not brand new, but uh, it is something that has been expanded in light of everything that's been going on. So whereas before you may have had a couple of locations like that, uh, I think today you see much more. Yeah, it sounds like uh, it's becoming a little more formal and maybe more of a standard operating procedure for farmers. Yes, I think that may be the direction. Okay, thank you for talking with us, Gav. Uh, appreciate your time. Let's talk soon. Glad to be on. We'll talk soon. Take care. Good night, Gav. And uh, please uh, communicate to the people in Artsakh that we, despite our leadership, we're all with you. Mm-hmm.